You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 377. You're listening to The Lively Show. This podcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra presence to your everyday. Hello, my friends, and welcome to today's show. Today, I am speaking to you from London on jet lag. So I have come a few days ago over from Sydney back to London. Very excited to see what flows here. And as I'm here, I thought it might be fun to do a little flow diaries update with you about some of the really interesting pieces of what fell into place for me in Sydney before I headed here to London and where maybe things might flow next. We shall see how the flow goes. But I just wanted to share a few of these interesting stories. I was even just recently meeting up with Ella, our team manager, for lunch the other day and told her this story that I'm about to tell you. And she was just riveted. So I'm excited to share it while it's still rather fresh in my mind and in my experience for you as well. So first, the story of Australia. So as you guys know, I was there for about three months with the Abraham New Zealand cruise as well in the very beginning of it. I loved my time in Sydney. It was very interesting. I came there to see about a visa. And as you may know from other little bits and bobs that I've shared over previous episodes where I've jotted in, because now that I'm going into this new era of, uh, you know, the Beauty of Life series, the podcast isn't exactly, you know, the the solo episodes giving you the play-by-play. However, Bella Vita, the series that I did, the six-week audio series, they've been getting the updates a little bit more regularly. And in fact, Bella Vita is now actually evergreen. So if you're curious and you want to go try my favorite thing from 2022 that I've been sharing all of this beginning of 2023, you can go over to jesslively.com slash Bella Vita if you want to go try that out. It's been really fun to create, and it's also been fun to hear how people are enjoying that program and applying it in their own imaginary dream realities and how it's blending into their current realities here in the 3D as well. So they've been getting a little bit more of the play-by-play than it has come out here. But basically, I went to Australia three months, was seeing about a visa. It didn't work to get a visa there. Short of getting a graduate degree, which would be very costly, time-intensive, in a way, almost distracting from all the work that I'm doing here. There's no real current pathway for me to stay in Australia. And this time I've coming back to Australia after being away for three years, I have to say it was always this elusive unrequited love (laughs) that never really worked out. I tried to get a visa for Australia in 2018. It didn't flow. And then I just kept coming back. And then 2019 was the last time I spent significant time there and they said, don't come back without a real visa. So three years later, post-pandemic, I came back to see, and even though it's still a very beautiful, wonderful place that I love spending time, it didn't have the same feeling that it had before. And it's because it was the right place for me before, maybe not to be full-time before, but it was the time that I was meant to have certain relationships, connections, interactions, experiences. So it's really been this powerful lesson, I don't want to say lesson in super like literal way, but it's like what I have seen, what the universe through these seven years of travel and stop and start and in and out of all these different places in the world is that there's no one right place. There's just the right place for this right now moment. So in this right now, what is the right place? Right now, what's the right place? now. And so this place was right for this three months, but it wasn't a place that I felt like I had to be 12 months a year. And even if I had felt that way, there wasn't a way to stay. So I'm happy that I didn't feel (laughs) like I needed to stay there and I couldn't do it. So I came back to London. I actually love my time in London last year and the three months I was here so much that I actually, even my friend Jess in Detroit, who knows me very well, was like, I had a feeling she kind of watched my reaction to London last summer and then also to Sydney this winter or the summer down there. And she's like, I have a feeling you're going to go back to London and be happier there. And we shall see if it flows. I'm now doing the same thing. So if you know of any incredible visa agents or pathways here, by all means, I'm all ears. I'd love to hear any resources that you have to share that could be super helpful for that. So I'm going to look into it here. This is now actually the third time I've attempted to come to London to get a visa. However, in the previous times, they were London was always the second place to Australia. So the first time I think was after... 
Yeah. After 2018, when the visa in Australia did not work out, I came to London as a backup. And then on the flow of the day that I was flying to London, this place in Detroit dropped into my lap. I had no interest in living in Detroit. I did not want to pivot that direction at all from my mind, but my intuition wanted me to go that way. So it all fell perfectly into place and I didn't settle in London then. Fast forward a few years, you know, Detroit didn't last very long. I did stay in it for a little while and I did get that place instead of coming here. But then I was on the road again, back in Australia and other places in the world. And I'm not saying that my mind hasn't enjoyed the travel, but it's never been my mind's desire to be homeless. (laughs) I like traveling, yes, but I don't like being in the suitcase living life that's not a very enjoyable thing. My favorite time was actually probably, you could say, being in Portugal, having that beautiful apartment that I had and being able to go back to Mexico for a few months and then return back to my apartment in Portugal. The joy I felt knowing that I had a place that was mine that I could go back to whenever I wanted and then could travel to and from like a nest, that feels the best for me. I do love travel. I Even getting a visa here, I still want to go to Australia for the winter. I don't want to be in London 12 months a year. I don't want to be anywhere probably 12 months a year. That's not my preference. So I do think there is this uh, roaming about that I do enjoy in many places in the world. But the homelessness and that idea doesn't really suit me so well. My Libraness does, you know, desire a home and having a place to put my stuff. Practically speaking, uh, this is, I'm no longer, the first year and a half of travel was minimalist, you know, carry-on suitcase, a duffel bag, and a backpack. But that's certainly not how I want to live seven years of my life or the rest of my life. So um, definitely trying to find a place that feels like the right place. Portugal has obviously still is an option for me. I still have that visa. I can continue it if this year, if it does flow, that you know London doesn't work out, that is an option. However, I'm kind of feeling, the feeling I have about Portugal is that it's been a beautiful chapter of my life. But I think it was more about that part of my life and that now moment more than it is about my going forward moments in the future. But I'm following my intuition every step of the way, not my mind. So we shall have to see what actually flows for me. But just on a bigger picture, I do like traveling, but not full time. So let's see if I can get a home. I just love having a home that I get to decorate, that I get to call my own. And then I can go to and from like a little bird's nest. And I have to say, a little bird's nest in London makes a lot of the world much more approachable than it did feeling into, you know, Sydney is quite a far distance from many places. It is the place I like to travel the least from. So it always did kind of make sense for me to imagine being there because I liked being there eight, nine months a year, then being travel for like three months outside of it for London summer. Now it just might be the reverse case scenario, but to be determined. I will keep you posted. But in the last weeks of being in Sydney, I've been working actually for the last several months, but especially in the last several weeks, we started working on BellaLively.com. So we're doing a rebirth. And it's so interesting because typically companies go through rebranding But this is actually much more of a rebirth because it's not only the brand, it's also my name. And so as it's going from JessLively.com to BellaLively.com, yes, on the brand side of things, you could say there needs to be a new logo. Photos being updated are always a nice thing to have for new websites. But this, like with the new logo, it really gives this whole new aesthetic. But the aesthetic is going into this personal, you could say, rebranding of myself, this inner transformation with that name. And I've been jokingly saying it's like uh, the phrase... Jess feels very laden with a lot of concepts, identity, history, honestly, baggage. (laughs) I love my character of Jess and I love the lifestyle I've had in that part of me. I'm not negating it in any way, but it's kind of like the phrase God. You know how people say God and a lot of times less so now than ever, but when, you know, a few decades ago, God often had these connotations to many people, especially in just general population, maybe not in the religion so much, but there was this like guy with white hair that was telling people what to do and saying you were right or wrong, good or bad, that kind of thing. So God was like a very specific, heavy label based on religion for eons of time. Not only that uh, idea of God or fire and brimstone, there's a lot of different associations to that word. And so in the spiritual world, they kind of went away from that world 
a word and they started opening up to source like Abraham Hicks calls it or the universe. They just like source energy, you know, all that is. It's so interesting how we've moved away from a word that still kind of was meant to represent the same thing, but had a lot of heavy connotation to it. I feel like the name Jess versus going into Bella feels very similar. Like it's like going from God to source. Now what that means is just this open concept, the potentials that my mind even considers with the name Bella versus Jess. Oh, it's so liberating. And even if you never, ever, ever want to change your name because you love it so much, I'm not saying anyone should ever change their name. I never thought I would change my name until my intuition gave me the name. And then a year and a half later, it just finally felt like actually a more authentic fit for me than Jess, as I never even considered it. It was Atlas that asked my intuition, and then I got it, and I still didn't really do anything majorly with it until last summer. And I was like, oh my gosh, after all of this transformation, I don't even feel like Jess anymore. And that name Bella just had been like percolating in the background, just kind of simmering there in the pot, and it started to boil. And I was like, oh my gosh, yes, this does feel more like me than the old name and concept and identity. And knowing that ultimately we're just awareness experiencing reality anyways, it might as well be any name that you want it to be. You might as well express in any way that feels fun and and enjoyable to be. Why not? Last life, best life for me. So I'm just saying, you know what? I think it came down to, by the way, making that shift personally was like, which name do I want to see on a tombstone? Not that I'll even have a tombstone. I'll probably be cremated. But I was just thinking, which one would I want to see on the tombstone? I was like, well, Bella, I like the name Bella more. I grew into liking the name, even though I never thought of the name before I got the name from my intuition. I was like, no, actually, I'd rather see that. Like, I don't need to be Jess. I, I mean, it's very sweet that my mom picked the name for me and everything, but like it never was something that I actually cared about. Even when I was little, I was trying to change my name to Mandy. Back then, I was like, oh, I always like wanted a different name. So this time I'm actually choosing from my intuition. But this rebranding on the business side of things has been occurring in Sydney. So very big digression. By the way, if you're curious on this though, with Bella Vita, I always suggest for in that program to create, if you want to, another name for your avatar, your character in your personal reality. Because I find that even with my friend Jess in Detroit, I said, oh, what'd your name be if you could pick it for this other reality? She loves her name being Jessica, by the way, here. But I said, in your other reality, it could be anything. It could be any avatar. You could be any type of you know character. You don't even have to be a human if you don't want. You could pick a name. You could be a human if you want, but you could get to pick what kind of human you want to be, whatever you want. It's totally your call. So she picked... Um, uh, her name to be Athena. And what it's really fun is when we're having conversations and she's stuck on a decision she's making, I said, what would Athena do? And just like I know with the name Bella for me, it's a broader set of potentials. It's a bigger, more open concept than the associations and the choice parameters you actually imagine having for yourself. Even though there's no limitation and a name is completely arbitrary, the mind tends to open differently to different concepts. So this being said, Bella to me is like that higher frequency that uh, I see it as a spiral, this extension, not negating Jess, that Jess is just the inner spiral that birthed Bella. And so Bella is this outer spiral. So now we're going into like that second rotation outside of the inner rotation being chess. Now we're going into the Bella era. And it has been so fascinating, fun. I love my... Uh, potentials that I'm choosing. Of course, I could have chosen them, but I think my mind would have had even more uh, resistance and hesitations and baggage and all that stuff to deal with if it was keeping the identity of Jess. But the idea of Bella is just like no resistance. It's just like open. It's like what a exhale, what an expanse. So with the new website, very excited, but also with the new photos, I knew that I would need new photos. I'd want new photos. I'd want photos as Bella basically because I had not done that before. I've always had photos as Jess. And I have, as I've been blogging since 2009 and then podcasting since 2014, and now we're in 2023, I've been doing this for, oh my goodness, like 12, 13 years on the internet being photographed and documented as I've literally grown up from my early twenties into this point in my life. And so that series of photo shoots, so many that I've had as Jess, 
this was a new time and it was a great moment of expansion. So when I've been creating my Bella Vita reality, I started to create a world for the work and the website and the community and ecosystem for you guys to all enjoy. We're obviously still in the throes of that. But with that, the photography that would go with it, I used Bella in Bella Vita to create the inspiration, the source, um, direction for that. So as Jess in my older eons of my little spiral version, I would have given you guys a new logo. I would have given you guys a photo shoot with me wearing cute clothes, sitting in a apartment. Nothing wrong with that. I've done that since 2009. And that's been I've mostly seen in other peers that I used to be more connected to. I don't really follow anybody in my space anymore. I just follow like fashion people and stuff. So I don't really know what the world you might put me into wherever that is in like, I guess the helping modalities or spiritual community. I don't follow any of those people. So besides Eckhart Tolle, so I don't really know what anyone's doing. I'm just kind of living my own journey or remembering to what I would have done in the past. So I normally would have just sat in my apartment and done a photo shoot. And that really could have been what was going to happen. I didn't actually look for a photographer very hard in Australia. At one point, I thought I might have found somebody. I was in a Celine store just uh, waiting for a dentist appointment to start. I had some extra time, wandered into the mall next door to the dentist office, went into the store to see what was there. And there was an event happening and a photographer was there. And he did get my Instagram and he did message or he did like like a photo or something, but he didn't do a direct message to actually, you know, set up a connection that could have led to a photo shoot. And he knew that I needed photos as we were chatting about it. So just like seeing that little piece, obviously I could have reached out to him. There was a connection to be made, but I was so trusting and so steady and stable and my like blind trust that the right photographers, because this is an area of life that I really manifest well in. (laughs) It's like one of my weird superpowers is manifesting photography. I just over years have like had pretty magical stories of how photographers find me. So with this person, I did think maybe this is that magical moment, but when it didn't flow further, more directly and obviously, I let it go. So it was like a little blip, but it didn't last. And then I was just, you know, kind of going through the website, redesign and imagining that, going through the logo, all those good things with our graphic designer, but totally relaxed about the photography. I thought if worst case scenario, I come to London and I get photos done here and I can, you know, do the same kind of thing in the past. Like I would have like sit in outfits in an apartment and look cute or maybe wander around the streets of London. I've actually done that with Guillaume, one of our IVFT facilitators and a photographer who did wonderful photos. I thought worst case, you know, I could do something like that with Guillaume if he's in town or somebody else similarly not going to worry about it. It'll come when it's ready. And instead, while I was in Sydney, a few weeks before I left, I saw a woman read one of my stories or saw one of my Instagram stories at a point in time when very strangely, only two people were showing as having seen the story I just immediately posted. Now, normally people will see like 10, 20 people will see very quickly my stories. So the uh, two names listed only obviously caught my attention because there's a lot of white space and those names really stood out. And the one of them was Laura-Sydney Photographer. So her actual username is Laura Coleman Photography. If you're interested in looking up her work, she's incredible. But the name that she has displayed as her like first and last name kind of thing said Laura-Sydney Photographer. It was so obvious and in my face, I clicked on it because it said Sydney Photographer. Why not? see what she does. And so I saw that she was doing these beautiful mother shoots on the beach. And I was thinking, you know, I'm not a mother with a bump, but I did love the beach in Bella Vida, one of my my portal scene, my, my classic scene. And one of the major pieces and elements of my Bella Vida home area is the beach. And so that obviously would be if I could do a photography shoot in Sydney with all the glorious beaches that are around in Australia and especially Sydney, this would be an amazing thing to do. So, and there was a lot of like light and air. And I was like, okay, she's got a vibe that's kind of going in the direction that I want to do. So I just pinged her a message and said, Hey, is there any chance you have any openings? And it flowed. And she was quite shocked, actually. This is how good I manifested this one. She actually was coming into my reality before I even knew about her. So it's like I was manifesting her without my conscious mental awareness before. So basically she's been following me from the very beginning of the podcast, 
but hadn't seen my stories on Instagram for quite a long time. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, Instagram algorithm started to show her my stories, which she hadn't seen in a long time, about two days before I saw her look at my story and reached out. So she said two days before she saw the pictures and she's like, oh yeah, what happened to her? And she was like looking at my feed and she said she was literally looking and thinking, how would I shoot her if I was to do a session for her? So she'd already had that thought, but again, she didn't reach out to me. I ended up seeing her look at the stories. I clicked over and I messaged her, but she was quite like shocked that I just 48 hours later actually asked her after she was pondering that potential. But that is a part of the sign of the flow. And my God, was she the perfect person. So once we knew that we could do this, and once she had the availability in the last two weeks before I left for coming to London, we put together the plan for it. And because I've been creating Bella Vida, and then I started creating the world for the the community, the ecosystem for the company as well, this other dimension too, which I'll share more about when we release. I think I'll save the story of what I've created in the non-physical for you to enjoy and your non-physical self. And now we're bringing into the digital worlds for your physical self to enjoy too. I was creating and part of this, I do this for Bella Vita and I do this for the planet that I've created for you as well. I've created Pinterest to be that first way of giving this 3D world, a taste or a sample of the vibe, the atmosphere, the feelings, the visually emotive elements that I've created in the non-physical. So that's my first way of disseminating what it looks and feels like. And it's been super helpful for our web designer, but also for the photographer. So as I pinned all these pictures and have this private account for, or not account, but like a page of all of the things for the ecosystem for that planet and was showing it to the graphic designer, I was also able to show it to the photographer. And all the photography images were very majestic, very much not me sitting in an apartment on a chair, just like I've done all those many 12, 13 years before. So we were going to do it on the beach. We were going to just, and she was so excited. She's ready to expand beyond her current repertoire of photography. So we really went for it. We had, I mean, I got outfits for it. I got sequined sparkle dresses so that I could sparkle like the sparkle water. I got this beautiful flowing dress that I never would have imagined to buy for myself in normal life. This like long, silky, white ivory dress. It's just so beautiful. So many, so many beautiful things. And it just, I literally, it, it flowed so beautifully. But one of the photos that I also, this is a side story. This is a little bit of a backstory tangent moment. So we're going to do this normal shoot on the water at dawn with a sparkle water. But aside from that, back in, I think, 20. 19, I think it was, I went to Changu and I went and stayed at the hotel called The Slow. If anyone's been to Bali, they might know Changu and they might know the Hotel Slow. It's really beautiful, really well designed. And I stayed in this beautiful space. I stayed, I like treated myself to this beautiful space with an indoor or not an indoor pool, but like an outdoor private pool for my room. It was a suite. It was stunning. And it had this beautiful photo above the bed. And the, the photo above the bed was this woman that was diving underwater and the way she was lit from behind, she was nude. And so she kind of looked like, obviously there's no mermaid fins or anything. There's no scales involved. She's just a female figure, but she's looking into the rocks, into the depths of the this photo. And it was stunning. I had this like connection to this piece so much. And as Flo would have it, the host for the hotel came and dropped me with my bags off. And he said, let me take a picture of you in the room. And so he had me sit on the bed and he took a picture of me, which no host of any hotel has ever asked me to do. But I did this and I did what he said. I was like, can't hurt, take a picture in the room. So I took the picture and I'm sitting in front of, you know, at the end of the bed in front of this below this beautiful, beautiful photo that is above my bed. And I love the photo of me in front of the photo and I love the photo. So it was very meta, but I loved this picture and I used it a lot. And what I found really interesting is that as people would see that photo, they would always ask me, is that you in the photo behind you above the bed? And I obviously was not the figure in the, the photo above the bed, but you couldn't really tell because it was so anonymous with, you know, her face was not towards you. It wasn't about the person. It was just this like figure and the water was so mystical, magical, beautiful, ethereal. 
oh, all the things. And I just always found that funny that people used to think that might have been me, that I was sitting in front of my own photo of myself, but it wasn't. So then fast forward, I think I was in Portugal when I first found this. I still follow, even while I was in Portugal, I'd follow accounts that I loved in Australia, even when I wasn't there. And one of the accounts that I followed showed a photographer in Australia who was doing these beautiful figures of women underwater in pools. And she would do this beautiful, like the women would be nude. And then the way the light of the water waves would hit the back of the pool wall and go across the figure of whoever the model she was using or person she was photographing was, it was so stunning. And it had, again, this idea of female nude underwater with light and waves waves and reflection. And again, I was obsessed. I was like, I want one of those in my house. So here I am always drawn to these figures underwater and they just lit me up with untold joy. And I was trying to find, I actually reached out to her while I was in Sydney. She didn't have the, she wasn't doing shoots like that anymore. So I wasn't able to do one with her myself because I even figured these are all anonymous figures. Like you don't even know who they are. So they could be me. They could be anybody. They could be you. Like no one knows who the people are. It's just about the figure and the water and the light and the reflection. It's very artistic and very beautiful. And so I actually thought, well, I could either get one of her prints or I could be one of the models. And she didn't take any more people to shoot. So that wasn't an option with her. And even the print that I wanted to get, my favorite one, when I asked her about it as a print, she said it wasn't high quality enough. It might've been taken with her iPhone or something like that. So it wasn't, even though I saw it digitally on her social media, it wasn't um, good enough for the blowing up and putting it into my house one day. So even that wasn't an option. And I don't know the photographer. I guess I could research and find out by reaching out to the slow who the one was in Bali. But long story short, I'm talking to Laura about the photo shoot and we're going to the beach and everything. And I say, you know, I, I'm waiting to hear back from this lady. She hasn't gotten back to me about this other shoot, but I'd really love to do a water shot if it ever flowed. It's kind of a dream of mine to do it. She goes, you know what? I think I bet we can try that. I've got a GoPro we can give it a shot and see what we get when they do the photo shoot. We'll just do it at the end of the shoot. And I was like, okay, cool. Cause I, you know, it was more for my home than it is for the website, but it was just something that's been for several years now in my mind. It's always kind of bubbling up as a little potential that I'd love to do either to get a print or be the figure in the print. Very edgy for me, let me say. Jess Lively would not do that, but Bella Lively certainly would because I love that idea of uh, having one of those prints and being the figure in it. After all those people kept asking if it was me, I realized why not? Why wouldn't it have possibly been me? It could have been me. Why not have that experience? It's such a big departure, but also so exciting to go beyond my old mental limitations of who I am, what I am, what I would do, what I wouldn't do, and just have fun, truly for the joy of it. So we do this shoot. We do, I mean, we had drones. I haven't seen all the photography yet. So you'll see whatever the good stuff comes out of this. But I was laying in the sand. <laughs> the water was hitting me. Like we really went for it. I was dancing at sunrise with the surfers and the waves and I'm like got scarves and I'm just doing my thing because I'm bringing Bella Vita to life in the beginning part of the shoot. So we've got, you know, me walking. She's got a drone and it's following me from above in an aerial shot. We will see what actually comes comes out of this stuff. Then there's the idea of like the sparkle water I love so much. Why don't I wear a sparkle dress and have myself in the sparkles? And so I'm sparkling up into the sun, you know, all these very fun, very exciting, very expansive, very emotive, evocative, ethereal, Bella Vita in real life. So it's been so fun to bring all of that to life. And then at the end, this is the real story I wanted to share. <sighs> we do the shoot. We do the underwater shoot. So as we're in this big beach, there uh, is, it's quite a wide beach. It was Maroubra Beach for anyone that's Australian and knows Sydney well. Maroubra was where we met and there was many surfers in one part of the beach. And then there's a big kind of, it's kind of, I want it's not a bay, but like there's like rocks on one side and on the other side, it was so far down. I don't even know what the other side looked like, but we were on the side near the rocks. So as we were on that edge, 
we went out at the end and we're like, okay, let's give this a shot with the GoPro. So she puts on her swimsuit. I have my swimsuit on. We go out into the water and I said, let's go over like further away from all the people. It's still dawn. So very few people are on the beach. It's mostly just surfers. They're further down the way where they could get to catch the waves. So we're like in a shallower, different part, a little bit more removed from about 100, 200 meters from everybody else. And I said, yeah, let's keep staying over here because if I'm going to take the swimsuit off, I don't need (laughs) to make other people uncomfortable. I don't have any beanbags around nudity anymore for myself, which is A, shocking, B, liberating, C, amazing, but also D, I don't want to like make other people uncomfortable because they're not asking. This isn't a nude beach as such. So even though there's very few people, I just like wanted to be kind to other people to give them the privacy of not having to see me (laughs) be naked. So she, you know, we take, we wander out into waist deep water and I can feel the currents quite strong, even at waist deep. So I'm like, you know what? I don't, she's like, are you a good swimmer? And I was like, yes, I am. Like I grew up on boats in Michigan. I've definitely always been around water, but as you may remember from other stories I've shared, I drowned in a past life. So growing up my whole life in this one, I always had initial fearful reactions to water every point of my life. And then eventually was in Belize. And then I did a whole huge PTSD response when I was doing the training, which was actually to help integrate my little boy. My inner voice told me a small boy, small boy was the boy that drowned and didn't get to the surface of water in time. And that was a huge different story I've shared, I think on the show years ago when it happened in Belize. But that having been through that, obviously, I've never had any fear in water in my actual life. I just was always feeling the fear of the little boy that drowned in this part of my life. But otherwise, I mean, I'm a very functional swimmer, swam a mile when I was in high school in Michigan, as you do to graduate. So definitely was a decent swimmer. And I've swam in beaches all over the world, Portugal, not very deep because it's freezing. And then Hawaii, many places, Mexico. But I don't think that I have like, you know, you know, surfer level swim skills or anything. And she by far being an Australian who is very outdoorsy, I could tell she was more mobile in the water than me. Just as she was going to see how far things were, she just like like a little fish, just like dolphined over to another area. And then she's like, I'm looking at her. She's like 100 feet away. I was like, or meters away. I was like, uh, no, <laughs> we're just going to stay over here. We're going to stay in this like waste foot of water with the current being strong. I didn't want to go into a place I wouldn't be comfortable with. And she's like, okay, well, we'll just stand here. I'm in waste water. We'll just pretend like you're diving into these three feet of water, like baby side of the shallow end of the pool. And so I'm diving in and she's got the GoPro and she's got my swimsuit around her wrist. And she's like, okay, we're going to take these photos and see. And she gives me a little guidance about blowing out the air bubbles in my mouth so that I don't look like a porcupine as I'm or like a blowfish as I'm diving. And so I'm doing my best to do it but it's pretty shallow. And then eventually we end up doing maybe five or six of those shots. And I know it seems silly. I was like, I know I can swim. I just like, this just is where I feel comfortable. And then eventually we did one of the shots. I think it was the last shot. We got it. We were like, oh, we're a little deeper now. And I felt like, oh, I'm actually probably, let's say four feet deep in the water. And I was like, well, this is probably actually the better, like, look at me. I've actually moved a little bit further out of my original comfort zone. And so now we're probably getting a better shot because there's more depth of, you know, sand before the top of the water and the bottom. So my dive might look more authentic to be an actual dive. And then I say, okay, it's four feet. And I was like, huh. And then all of a sudden I can't touch and I'm only five foot four. So I'm not very tall. So I'm I'm certainly not that far away from the beach, but I can't touch. I can only get the last centimeter of my big toe to touch the water underneath or the sand at the bottom of the beach. And this is obviously going from three feet of sand to suddenly I can't even touch. She's like, okay, well, we need to swim back. And I can't swim. I'm swimming and swimming and swimming, but I am caught in a riptide. And she also was caught, but she was further closer to the beach and she had much stronger skills of swimming. So I think to be fair, she's been in a riptide before. We talked about this after this all happened. She probably could have gotten out quite quickly. I think all things said and done, maybe not the most easy riptide to get out of for her, but she probably more easily could have navigated that moment, except for the fact that she had me with her and I had no idea what to do. And I was further, maybe about six, seven feet away from her, further into the ocean, deeper into the water, and probably maybe potentially even, I don't know, like more caught in the riptide. And it's nine or eight in the morning. 
we started at 5.30 in the morning. So it's 8 in the morning at this point. Uh, the sun's like not fully up by any means, but it's like more more like early morning hours. I'm swimming. She's like, come to me, come to me. And I, I can't touch. And I can tell I'm just getting, I'm going backwards. If anything, I'm not going forwards. And I'm near these rocks. And it's either like rocks about 20 feet to the side, or there's just the pure open ocean behind me, which is where the rip current seems to be wanting to take me. And she's wanting me to go forward. And God knows I want to get forward because the current was so strong. I felt like, oh my God, this is not good. I had immediate, she said she could see the shift. I went from being somebody that was in a rational state of mind into a shock response because I mean, A, I've never been in a riptide. B, water is not my strong suit. Even though I did do the beanbagging and help the little boy find resolution with his death in the water when he drowned, I certainly didn't love the idea of being powerless in a rip current. In fact, actually, we found out later four people died that weekend from rip currents in Australia. So these are certainly no joke, especially in Australia. That weekend alone, four people died. So it was terrifying. I, she's like, come to me, come to me. And I was swimming as fast as I could. And I could tell I was like a rag doll in a rip current. Like there's no way I could actually get anywhere. And I realized in that moment that my rational mind was so displaced and so irrational that I could have done many pretty crazy things. to be quite honest. So I'll tell you as what did happen. And then I can tell you some other alternative paths that I could see that my mind could have done. But what I ended up doing, she's like trying to get me to focus and like come back into my body. My consciousness is trying to leave the body because it's so terrified and feeling unsafe. But she's wanting me to go to her. I can't even swim anywhere. If anything, I'm getting taken backwards towards the ocean and the open water. And she's like holding out her hand. But of course, she's still swimming and she's still caught in the current. She's got a GoPro. She's got my swimsuit wrapped around her wrist. So I was like, I don't want to like drown this new friend who I've met two and a half hours ago at this photo shoot for the first time in real life in person. And so she holds out her hand and I'm, I'm, I'm taking it, but I'm not trying to like, you know, there's no way I don't think that her arm could have pulled me on its own through the current that I was kind of between us. It just wouldn't have, I, I think it would have started to really struggle for both of us to stay afloat if I was actually trying to move forward. And so out of this moment of complete terror of being swept out to sea, swept into the rocks or drowning my new friend, I end up in complete weird dis- displaced shock. I end up saying, I need help. I need help. And I'm not screaming it. I'm not like waving my hands over my arms or head. I'm not screaming for like, you know, I'm drowning kind of motions or anything. I just look at it and I say, I need help. And I like motion to 200 meters away, the beach, the lifeguards, the surfers, all those other people that we were avoiding because I wanted to give them the privacy of not being around the, <laughs> me being naked in the water. And now we're so far from everyone. She looks at me like I'm crazy because I'm like, I need help. I need help. I, I need help out there. Which is interesting because I could have made it like, well, you're not a good enough slimmer. Look at what you put yourself into. I could have shamed myself. I could have guilted myself. I could have said, oh, you've got to get yourself out of this. We're going to have to go into survival mode right now. and We're going to have to swim 10 times stronger than we ever have before. I didn't do any of that. I just said, I need help. I know this is beyond my ability to solve and I don't want to take you down with me. (laughs) I just need help from somebody that knows what to do with the situation and they're over there. I need somebody from over there. And she is the practical one of the two of us. And she's like, that's not going to happen. We need to do this. You need to follow me. And she's trying to guide me to get out of my state of terror and follow her. But all of a sudden after that, I can't even, I was so in this dissociated place that I can't even tell you how many minutes. I know it wasn't hours. I don't know if it was two minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. No clue because time was so displaced for me in the way, in the state of my consciousness at that point in time in my mind. But eventually, after I say I need help, it seemed very quick. I don't know exactly how quick it was in physical time, but it seemed like a few moments later, I started smiling and she's looking at me going, why are you smiling? And this is now just getting to the point where I can't even touch. And if I know that if I could have got to the place where I couldn't have touched, I actually think that what I 
consciousness was so insanely scared at that time. I could have seen myself going underwater to touch the ocean. So let's say I got six feet deep. I could see myself going underwater just to touch the bottom to remind myself that I was still close to shore. But as I would have done that, which is so irrational, I should have just stayed at the top and floated, right? Because I was floating successfully. I can float in the in the water. I can swim when I'm not in a rip current. But the floating felt like if I kept floating and I couldn't touch, I was just going to get lost out to sea. I would just be a little floating dot in the ocean, never to return to the beach again. That's how scared and fearful and what really felt very practically what could have happened. So I could have seen myself irrationally going to the bottom just to touch, to confirm that I could still touch. Then I would have seen the top of the water when I opened my eyes and looked at the top. And then I would have seen the scene that the little boy that drowned saw. And then it really would have been a whole nother ball game of literally, I probably would have started to drown myself in this literally completely irrational state of mind. But instead of doing that, instead of drowning my photographer friend, I said I needed help arbitrarily by people that don't even know we exist 200 meters away. And then I start smiling. And the reason I start smiling is because all of a sudden, a few moments later, minutes later, I don't even know, I see a beautiful head of blonde hair swimming from behind her. She doesn't know that it's coming, but I see this blonde surfer in a wetsuit with a red surfboard floating over towards us. And he puts us on the surfboard and he drags us out of the riptide and we, and then he disappears. He goes, I think he went back and surfed and we were, we were removed from the rip current. So I went from this incredible state of shock to incredible state of relief she was quite shocked, like how this guy just showed up after I said, I need help. I need help. Not even screaming it, not asking for help in any way that anyone would have been able to hear, but he literally appeared and disappeared as quickly as he did up here. I'm sure he, I don't even remember what he said. I was just so grateful and so in shock and just like gripping the board. She got on the board too. And then he pulled us in. He noticed that I was naked. I'm sure. I hope he got a good story for his friends. I was literally a damsel in distress. (laughs) Like I've never been in my life. Never thought I'd have that little story of damsel in distress and ever be the one to do that. I've never ever been in that kind of state in my life, but I certainly was in that moment. And I hope that he, you know, I hope he, he knows how much I appreciate it because, and he got a good story out of it to tell his friends because he disappeared as quickly as he did up here for us. And then as we got into like close enough where we actually could walk through the sand and through the current and get out to the shore, I just like ran basically straight to the the clothes. <laughs> Laura's like, oh, I'll just kind of shield you from the people around. I could not care less. I was so in shock, so distraught still that it happened. But even as we left the water, by the way, I saw, even though, so we have beautiful surfer man saves us. Then I see this little spray of water that sprayed a rainbow as we exited the water. So even though I'm still in shock and still like super scared and shaken, I see a rainbow and a beautiful surfer comes and saves us. So that was obviously the end of the photo shoot. And she got in her car and drove back home. She lives an hour away. And I got uh, into an Uber and was in a state of shock, got home. And this is something I've always known that I wanted to do for people that have had trauma. And I want to suggest for anybody that might ever be in a situation, especially this will be easier probably for IVFT grads that have had lots and lots of practice with beanbagging. But my experience was a great example of someone going through a very traumatic incident and what do you do next? So obviously the solution was incredible, magical clandestine, beautiful alignment of this person helping us. We didn't drown like the other four people did that weekend. We got help. It didn't become some horrifyingly terrible, like I'm actually drowning myself by trying to touch the bottom of the water. I didn't try to drown the photographer, which would have put her into a compromised state. She didn't have to swim into shore to get help for me. And then I felt totally abandoned out getting swept further and further out to sea. There's so many things that could have gone badly. And instead, we had a very, very ideal scenario for the situation that we found ourselves in. But I still was shocked. And I still, my whole body systems, just like when I was um, releasing the trauma for the little boy that drowned when I did the scuba diving, what was so interesting is a scuba diving scenario, I had the same physical reactions to being in a pool with an oxygen tank and a respirator and being the only one watched by a certified diving instructor four feet under the water 
in a pool, I had the same reaction that I had actually in the riptide of this life. That's how interesting the past life traumas overlap is that the trauma I felt was actually worse. Ah, would I say it was worse in the diving? It was at least equal, maybe even worse. Thank God I already did help find the resolution for that little boy. Because if I hadn't, I think that the scenario I was in the, in Sydney would have been so horrifying having the past life reaction to that on top of it. I, I don't think, I, I don't even know how I would have reacted. Probably a lot worse. I probably would have started to do the drowning scenario that I said, which would have been like the worst thing for me to do. I could have seen myself doing that. I could have seen myself just recreating without knowing it deliberately in any way. The old uh, scenario again, because it would have been weirdly terrifying and familiar all at the same time. But either way, what I did do, thankfully, like, uh, my inner voice gave me the name Gabriel for the surfer that saved us. It said Gabriel, Gabriel. And so I don't know that that was actually his name, but his golden hair <laughs> and his angel-like presence that descended on us at the perfect time and disappeared as, the, as if he came from the ethers did feel like a bit of an angel to me, not going to lie. So Gabriel felt appropriate. But when I got back to the house, I showered and got warm just like I did with the little boy. So my regulation of my nervous system was completely off balance. So I took a very long, uh, hot, warm shower. I put on very warm clothes. I cleaned up. I very methodically, still in shock, put everything away, like washed all the sand off everything. It sounds kind of weird, but I like did all of that almost on autopilot. And then I ate some food because from 4 a.m. waking up for the photo shoot until this 9, 9.30 in the morning when I get home from the whole thing, the whole ordeal, good, bad, the ugly, the, all of it, I lay on the sofa after I've eaten, after I've gotten warm, and I was like, beanbag. I'm like, I am not taking this fear or this unresolved trauma with me another day forward. And so I inner voiced and I beanbagged for hours that day and rested and drank water and and just came back into and releasing all of the energy that came up that day. So I didn't take it forward with me any moment more than it needed to be. And I also even asked my nervous, I was like, what the heck? Like I spent time in Sydney, even though it was a very beautiful time, there were days where I was going through other extended stages, let's call it advanced stages of cocoon. So it wasn't my own life that I was shedding layers for, but I was feeling into other past lives that were releasing things they were going through. And of course, I don't know all the details. Like I did know, obviously the boy that drowned and I've had about six or seven other past lives that have come up to be cleared and I've been able to support them. But in the days that I was, there's many periods where a lot of strange, bizarre and intense experiences were happening where there were days where I wouldn't leave the apartment because I was just feeling into experiences that other lives were having. It was, it was intense. And even the photography leading up to it the night before, I was releasing tons of beanbags that the Jess character of myself had about photo shoots from earlier years of my life. I was releasing all this old energy for even my younger self. And then I didn't sleep well, got up early, didn't eat anything because I wasn't hungry at four in the morning and also, you know, was going straight over to the photo shoot. And so like, I, I was just like, are you kidding? Like, put me in this and then I'm naked. I'm haven't eaten. I'm tired. I'm emotionally drained. And now I'm in a rip current. Like I can't only take so much. I've got 10 fingers, 10 toes. I can't take on all the energy of these past lives, all my younger self and get in a rip current. Like this is too much, too, too, too much. I can't do this inner voice. And it said, no, 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 no. This isn't about a past life. This was just a thing that happened. This specific thing was not, you know, the other stuff was definitely being in service to my soul. But this part it said was, not intended. It just happened because this world is 3D and duality does exist and rip currents do exist, but it wasn't meant to floor me. It wasn't meant to kill me. It wasn't meant to be anything more than what it actually was, which was for a little bit of time, I was caught in a current. I asked for help. I received help. I got a rainbow. <laughs> like, it's okay. We got you out of a really terrifying situation. We know we can't avoid every possible thing that might happen on this planet as Earth is Earth, but it wasn't designed to be some triggering response to help some other thing resolve some other thing. So that was really nice to know on that level that like this wasn't something that was bigger than what it was. But then as I beanbagged what it was and all the emotions that came up, it was interesting because one of the biggest explosions of joy 
it was joy. It was appreciation for Gabriel, the person that saved us, the surfer. And because that's what made the scenario not the dying scenario or the getting swept off to sea scenario or me drowning my friend or getting left as she went to get support. Like that's what made the scenario not a big deal was Gabriel. And so I saw so much interesting insight that I wanted to share from that experience because I could have reacted, as I mentioned, in trauma so many different ways. I could have started to drown myself in order to touch the bottom, and then I would have seen the water, and then I would have been like, oh my gosh, I'm drowning, and all this crazy stuff. I could have just floated out to sea, which would have been really scary, or I could have started to look at my friend who was much better at swimming in this kind of situation and said, oh, well, you're swimming better. Let me use you as my life draft. (laughs) I started to drown her, and I realized that victim dynamics are so interesting because obviously I switched into fight or flight response. I was in, you could say, a sense of victim mode because I didn't have the ability to navigate the water situation better. And I could have seen, I could see a scenario and I could see how people sometimes see someone else next to them. Maybe it's a partner. I even see a time back in my marriage when I was with Mr. Lively where I was drowning in overwhelm, a very serious bout of overwhelm. I was in the podcast. The podcast was doing well, but I was editing the podcast. I was spending 20 hours a week on that. I had my business coaching and a million other things. I didn't even know when I could wash my hair that week. I was so stressed out. I remember crying in bed one night to him about everything I had on my plate. And he said, okay, give me a list of things I can do for you so that I can help you take on the burden, which would have been the equivalent of Laura handing out her hand and I started to drag on her and actually start to compromise her ability to swim with the GoPro, with the swimsuit while she was in the rip current, holding on to me, trying to drag me out of a worse part of the current, it would not have served her well at all. She could have easily started drowning in that process. Together, we could have gone down. And that's kind of what happened with Mr. Lively. So he helped me. And then all of a sudden, after I got out of the rip current, you could say, of my life, and I had that support from him, which isn't that the way it's quote unquote supposed to be in a a relationship to help and support each other. He felt drowned himself. He ended up getting depressed actually after that. And it was so unexpected because I thought, oh, I just need help right now. He helped me. And then I felt better, obviously. And then I was so excited to be able to go forward and live a happy life with him because he helped me. And I thought, oh, we're safe on the beach now. But it was actually he'd taken on, you could say in in the analogy, a lot of water in order to help me. And so then he needed help. The energy imbalance got shifted over into him. And then I had the really deep and like stressful and heavy, it wasn't a burden for me. Obviously he was the one that was depressed, but then I was like trying desperately to help him out of the depression, but there was no way that I personally actually could help him out of his depression. Eventually he found his way out with the, with the support of a, I found him as a, a person, support person, let's just say. And they did blood tests and they found supplements and stuff. And he found a regime and exercise and stuff instead of having to take medicine. But he was actually so close. He almost considered medicine at the time to help with it. And that ended up getting resolved, not through me being able to help him other than I found him somebody that could give him professional support. And that's what I learned about the victim dynamics is that when someone else is in the water with you and they're swimming and they might be stronger at swimming than you are, the idea still isn't to drown the people next to you. <laughs> it's to find somebody like Gabriel with a wetsuit and a set of very good skills as a surfer that knows what to do in rip currents with a floating surfboard to bring over in support, actual support like that. So that energy exchange of like, he was not drowning in order to save us, but I could have drowned Laura trying to save myself. And so that idea of energy dynamics of not going and drowning the person next to you, finding, I guess you could say on the physical real world, like professional support to, or an energy exchange that's not just drowning somebody else, it's also treading water with you and fighting along in the same current as well. That was so insightful to me. And it's so fascinating that to see, I didn't have the consciousness at the time and the fear that I was in to say, oh, inner voice, what should I do? No, I mean, the amatic, this is an autopilot, but thank God my autopilot was, I need help. And I didn't look at Laura and say, she's the one that needs to help me. I said, no, I need help from somebody who's 
able to help me. And it was as if I asked the universe, the, the fastest manifestation, fastest rocket of desire, I need support. Inner voice. I didn't say inner voice, but basically I did say those people over there, I need one of them to help. We need somebody else to help. And I think that was so incredibly insightful, even in my insanely fearful state. I find it incredibly beautiful that I didn't start drowning myself. I didn't start trying to lean on to Laura to get me out. I didn't make myself swim harder or feel worse or bad for being in that scenario. I didn't knowingly go into anything that I shouldn't have done. I didn't knowingly do that. When we got out, of course, the flags for Australians, they know this, like there's flags and there's danger on them. I didn't know that flag existed. I never even saw that flag. I didn't even have the awareness. I don't even know if it was up at the time that we went out in that area. So it could have been there. It couldn't have been there because I didn't know what to look for. It didn't register in my reality until after we got out to see that it was there. But all of this to say, how amazing not to make myself wrong. I didn't knowingly do anything wrong. I did try to stay in the shallow water where I did feel safe, but the water kind of swept us out. And Laura did her best to help me out, but it was truly Gabriel that did it. And I looked up the name Gabriel because I was curious on why my inner voice gave me that specific name. The name Gabriel means strength of God. And I thought that's so interesting because that's basically what I asked for. I asked for myself without saying the word inner voice, I said, I need help. And we got it. I called on help from not Laura and not myself. I asked for a higher level of support from people that weren't drowning in a way that I had no idea how they would find us. But that's exactly, even though it sounds so irrational, it is completely irrational. And the idea that it actually happened is also sounds completely irrational, but it is on the level of what you could say Abraham Hicks or your inner voice would ever say, completely what the inner voice would say to do. I'd say ask for help and trust. And so even what I did in my uh, morning after as I laid there and beanbagged, that is what I hope people to do. If you ever have a strong experience to take care of yourself, get yourself warm, get yourself fed. And when you have the space and time to go, if you have it like myself or like your IVFT grads, you have a lot of experience and practice, you'll probably be able to do this yourself. But even if you haven't, please go find a facilitator if it feels like your intuition would like you to. We have a whole page of them listed on our website. Um, I think it's jesslivy.com slash find a facilitator please work with someone, let them spend a few hours with you, helping you to release that emotion one piece at a time, one piece at a time so that you can get to a point where you're so neutral about it that you're not triggered by it anymore. Actually, right now, even as I tell the story, I could be honest, my mind's a little bit disappointed that I feel so past it because I feel like the story would have more <laughs> oomph if I was still stuck in the beanbags that I did feel. But because I released them so clearly, the only thing that's actually brought up a current state of emotion is appreciation and joy for Gabriel. But it, even in that, like, may I say, and if you saw, if you talked to Laura about this, you'd be like, yeah, I saw she was, <laughs> she shifted. She was not in any normal state of being as it happened or after. Uber driver too could say the same. But that's the power of actually releasing is that you once you're out of it, you've healed it. It's not like you can ever re-trigger the same emotion to the same scale ever again because it's now in wisdom and compassion. I have tons of compassion for myself, but no more empathy. I'm not stuck in that experience the way that I was immediately in it and after it. So that is my story for you. I hope you enjoy it. The photo itself, it was so interesting. The first thing that she sent me to see as a sneak peek. Laura sent me after the whole experience. I think I got it later that day or then, yeah, I think it was that day she sent me. This was the last shot we got before the rip current. And it's beautiful. Honestly, it is stunning. It is something I would love to have in my home. And it means so much to me, not only for the experience of this like manifesting of 2019 and onward from the original one that I saw and how it flowed into my life and then how this experience, but also what this experience brought into my life, which ultimately wasn't, you could say on one level, pleasant, but on the other level, the fact that Gabriel came, the fact that it became such a beautiful photo, the fact that we got support, the fact that I learned so much about victim dynamics, there's just actually so many gifts in it as well. So anyways, this is my very personal story of Gabriel, Laura, the flow, 
And yeah, for now, we're working on getting that website, as I mentioned, out for you soon. I think it'll be done in March. So until that comes out, I will see you more here in the beauty of life and in any other podcast I might pop in on maybe another Q&A or something sometime soon. But there you have it. Some flow diaries literally flow on the ultimate sense of flow to manifest somebody within minutes to be able to support us when I ask for it. And yeah, it's, it's truly incredible manifesting because there's so many other potentials that could have happened and many of them honestly worse. But the one that happened was such a beautiful, beautiful gift. And for that, I'm forever grateful. Until next time, may something wonderful happen to you today. 